You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. The Jesus of the Gospels cared about the concrete harm that was being done to the marginalized and the exploited. And our faith in this kind of Jesus, it should move us to do the same. So is our faith making us complicit with the mountains of harm that is being done to those our present system makes vulnerable? Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery and this is episode 438. Our title this week is Faith and Political Harm, and our reading is from the Gospel of Luke. This is Luke 17, 5 through 10. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a slave plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the slave when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get ready, wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the slave because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy slaves. We have only done our duty. So there's a lot to unpack in this week's reading. And let's begin with this language of throwing trees into the sea. Luke's version of the Jesus story substitutes the the mulberry tree for what other gospels call a mountain in Matthew or sorry in Mark 11:23 it says truly I tell you if anyone says to this mountain go throw yourself in the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes uh, that that what they say will happen it will be done for them in the gospel of Thomas 48 Jesus said if two make peace with each other in a single house they will say to the mountain move from here and it will move and again the gospel of Thomas 106 when you say uh, mountain move from here it will move and you can cross-reference all of these with Matthew 17:20 and Matthew 21 21 um, the language of, of throwing trees or mountains into the sea it had a rich political history in the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, Isaiah writes, every mountain and hill would be made low in Isaiah 40 verse 4. Now, this week, I agree with Richard Horsley, who uh, um, in his book, Jesus and Empire, the Kingdom of God and the New World Disorder, uh, he explains, to hear this parable, however, we must again remove some of the Christian theological wax from our ears. And we have to first, we first have to understand the political and the economic context in which this kind of language was used in the Jesus story. Jesus used this language in the justice tradition of the Hebrew prophets. His community, the Jewish community, was at that time subjugated by Rome. And in Roman fashion, the empire had installed its own client ruler. Herod uh, to have direct control over the region. And, and Herod had in turn appointed the high priest of the temple, um, known as Herod's Temple, 
from elite families from Jerusalem and the surrounding regions. All of this meant that the people were heavily economically oppressed. And not only did did Rome tax the people through Herod and the temple high priest, but Herod also heavily taxed the, the people for his expensive building projects to honor Caesar and to fund fund his uh, reign of terror, which, which kept the, the populace in line and prevented uh, rebellions. The military was expensive. And on top of this, the temple itself demanded tithes and offerings. And instead of being a kind of wealth redistribution to the poor, these tithes and offerings, they tended only to make the wealthy elite even richer. It's in this context that um, I think it's best to understand the image of throwing a mountain into the sea. In the prophetic tradition, mountains represented political or social orders, especially oppressive or or, um, uh, uh, imperial ones. And in the Gospels, the mountain being thrown into the sea yeah, it was associated with the temple state, and, and but that's only because the temple state had become a proxy for Rome when, after Herod's death, Rome began directly determining who the priest and the high priest would be. And talking about throwing a mountain in the, in the sea in that era, it would have immediately been associated with the oppressive social, economic, and political system that, that was represented by the temple mount there and the, and the rulers of the temple mount in the, in the hill city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And to quote Horsley again, um, this is uh, Kindle locations 1203 and 1207, the high priests are hardly Jewish leaders. Um, and Horsley's not implying, remember here, that, that, that uh, the leaders were not Jewish ethnically. He's suggesting that they represented the interest of Rome when he says they were hardly Jewish. Not a, they were not of Jewish uh, liberation or independence. They weren't. That's the Jewish liberation or independence wasn't their focus. Um, and, and neither Horsley continues. Neither in this episode nor in Mark as a whole is there any suggestion of a replacement of Judaism by Christianity. Here, as throughout Mark's story, the fundamental conflict lies between rulers and the ruled, not Judaism versus Christianity. So he's talking about this is a class struggle, and especially a struggle between those who wanted liberated from Roman oppression uh, that was being exercised over them through the the Jewish Temple Mount. And in his insightful commentaries, Ched Myers agrees that the, the metaphor of throwing mountains into the seas, it referred to Roman oppression, directly or indirectly, through the, the temple state acting as a Roman client. This is from his book, Binding the Strong Man, 305. As impossible as it may seem, Mark insists that the overwhelming power and legitimacy both of the Roman legion and the Jewish mountain will, be, will meet their end, if the disciples truly believe in the possibility of a new order. And in his book, Say to This Mountain, same author, Mark's story of discipleship, page 149, uh, Myers writes, faith is here defined as the political imagination that insists on the possibility of a society freed from the powers, whether Roman militarism or Judean aristocracy. In, in the same way that peasants could not possibly imagine a world without feudalism, or the the way that we today find it difficult to imagine a world without capitalism. Uh, Jesus' followers had a hard time imagining a world without Roman imperial rule. 
And some in Jesus' audience that day, they didn't, remember, they didn't want a world without Roman imperial rule. And much as the capitalists today who benefit from, from capitalism uh, defend the way things are, the, the wealthy elite in Jesus' audience who were benefiting from Roman rule, um, it's to them that Jesus' words are next aimed, I believe, in this context. We can read um, the slave language in this week's reading differently than how it's typically read. And I don't, I don't accept that, that Jesus is here calling his disciples to perceive themselves as unworthy slaves who've only done their duty. This way of, of, of thinking about oneself or perceiving oneself it's damaging, and it's not life-giving. But repeatedly in Luke 17, Jesus' audience keeps shifting. It keeps changing. And these changes, are, 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 are not, they're not only frequent, but they almost happen with no warning. It's just a rapid change. If we interpret this language not as aimed at his disciples, but at the ruling elite, at the mountain, uh, in Jesus' society. There's another meaning here that surfaces and that also becomes possible. That last phrase, it gives us a clue. We've only done our duty. The original language of the text, it suggests that this concept of duty, it could involve the obligations of indebtedness. And creditors don't thank debtors for paying back their loans. They demand it. The wealthy elite at this time in Judea, they had become wealthy through the misfortune of others. Heavy taxation had pushed many lacks landowners to their limits. And if they had one bad year or, or crop failure, they had to take loans. And being already on the edge, any other misfortune, which which was common, that would push these landowners into default. And, and, and that's what happened. Many of the wealthy landowners in Jesus' society were actually creditors who had gained even more land because the original landowners had defaulted on their debts and had lost their land to their creditors. The original owners had... had in this context, they'd become debt slaves working on the land that used to belong to them. And in this context, those who were wealthy esteemed themselves through the typical lens of classism as being superior to those who had lost out. This language that we're encountering in our reading this week, Jesus turns this estimate of others as inferior back onto the elite and accuses them of holding actually a similar status in relation to Rome. They were acting, he says, not as the, the liberated and independent worshipers of Yahweh, but as the servants or slaves, unworthy servants or slaves of the Roman Empire who were just doing their duty to the Roman Empire. And this rhetoric, it becomes a painful challenge then. Is Rome going to thank them for their service and their client slavery? No. Rome looks at them as inferior, as conquered, as subject and they've, they've traded faithfulness to God for faithfulness to Rome. And rather than being favored children of Abraham, these elites, they've, a cho they've chosen the status of an unworthy slave only fulfilling the obligations of their debt to the Roman Empire. And when we read this, these words through this lens... I think we could paraphrase uh, this passage this way. So you wealthy elite, when you've done everything you were told to do by your Roman overseers should say, we are unworthy slaves. We've only done our duty. Jesus is, is seeking to, to wake up the elites here and, and, and to the reality of, of what they're doing to others by humiliating them with their classist estimation and, and also how that's being turned back against them in, in the world that they're choosing to operate within. And, and 
and, and there are other places in the Gospels for sure where that refer to the disciples as slaves. Um, I interpret our reading this week as instead naming the elites as the slaves of Roman imperialism. And I'm also thankful that even the, the language of referring to disciples as slaves, that it was ultimately replaced in the Jesus story. By the time the, the last canonical gospel is written, the author of the Gospel of John abandons the reference to disciples as slaves entirely. In John 15, 15, it says, I no longer call you slaves, because a slave does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And nonetheless, I I find this week's slave language to be much more life-giving when applied not to disciples, but to the client rulers or slaves of the Roman Empire in Galilee, Samaria, and Judea, and the surrounding regions. And it calls me to question my own investment in the way things are today in my context and what capitalism causes me to trade or to give up so that I can survive in this system. Jesus calls his listeners to be careful about how they esteem and treat others because how they were treating others was in essence how Rome was treating them. How they perceived others was how Rome was perceiving them. And what all of this says to me is that the Jesus of the Gospels didn't separate his politics from his religion. He allowed his faith and his perception of his God to inform his politics in relation to how others were being exploited and harmed. And remember, all theology is political because all politics should ask who is benefiting and who is being harmed. The Jesus of the Gospels cared about the concrete harm that was being done to the marginalized and the exploited. And and our faith in this kind of Jesus, it should move us to do the same. So is our faith making us complicit it with the mountains of harm that is being done to those our present system makes vulnerable, or is our faith inspiring us to work uh, today toward moving uh, these oppressive mountains into the sea? Heart Group application this week. Share something that spoke to you from this week's e-site or podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, what concrete harm being done to the marginalized and exploited in our societal context is on your heart this week? Share that with your group. And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone. Thanks for checking in with us today. You can find Renewed Heart Ministries on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you haven't done so already, please follow us on your your chosen social media platforms for our daily post. And also, if you enjoy listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, uh, please like and subscribe to the JFE podcast through the podcast platform platform uh, that you use and consider taking some time this week even to give us a review. This helps others find our podcast as well. And if you'd like to reach us uh, through email, you can reach us at info at renewedheartministries.com. Right where you are, keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working toward justice. I love each of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.